Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Jam Yearbook. I'm Matt. And I'm Jim. We're here to take you on a journey through the years as we explore the music in our lifetime and the impact it's had on us and the world we've lived in. Welcome to version 2013. Or as I thought when we picked it, is this going to be another one of those shows? I got the air quotes up. <laughs> yeah, quickly turned that way. You know, at the end of the last show, we joked that six plus seven, you know, 2006, 2007 equals 13. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> It's almost meant to be, isn't it? And we could have made a mess out of either of those years, but instead of just being negative and having short shows, I think pulling them together made for a better show. Yes. It did. And to be clear, I'm not trying to be negative about 2013 right away here. I was actually pleasantly surprised to find some good music. Yeah, we'll call out some trouble where we found it, but I found some things to grab onto as well. It just took a little bit of extra digging this time. You know, mm -hmm. they can't all be 1980. You're still hung up on 1980. We got to we, we got to have the work. We got to do the work. OK, I'll start using 1982 as a reference for great music. Years. <laughs> no, that's fine. <laughs> I had wondered during the 2006, 2007 mashup, if some of my opinions would be different if we hadn't just come off a of version 1982. A good example of a peak year. <laughs> See, I'm moving on from 1980. The, the trick is keeping a perspective of treating each year individually because some comparisons are hard, similar to how a band will have a benchmark album. Next thing you know, everything they do, I'm going to compare to Back in Black. Yeah, 1980. There you go. Yeah. But okay, before we go too far, let's talk about the people that we lost in 2013. Everybody stop. Reaper time. 1990 was fun, too. Yeah, it was. That was a really good year. Yeah. Uh, we'll start with Jeff Haneman, founding member and guitarist of Slayer. Passed away at the age of 49 from liver failure due to heavy drinking. Two years before his death, he had contracted necrotizing fasciitis. That's the uh, flesh-eating disease, which he bleeded oh. from a spider bite. His prolonged recovery and prior death of his father contributed to the increase in his alcohol consumption. Oh, that's too bad. And then somebody else who probably consumed a lot of alcohol in his yeah. life... <laughs> But he lived a long one. There was George Jones. George Jones was a legend in my house growing up. A legend in country music. I can still see the album covers in my dad's collection of vinyl. I think people were pretty surprised he made it to 81 years of age, to be honest with you. He led a pretty dangerous lifestyle that wasn't without some controversy. He was a tough old country boy, but his light finally went out in 2013. Yeah, he may not have made it so late if he had chosen to drive something else other than a John Deere tractor to the bar. That's true. That's true. <laughs> oh, classic. And then also we had Ray Manzarek. Jim Morrison's the image of the doors by all means, but Manzarek was the sound. He wrote most of their music and he was the backbone of the band. I can't think of a more successful band when it comes to charting that had an upfront electric organ sound. He also played all the bass parts on one hand and the melody on the other. So he was like two guys on stage playing in that band. The Doors never would have became what they did without Ray. And then that leads us to Lou Reed. There's a famous quote attributed to Brian Eno. I'll just paraphrase it. The first Velvet Underground album only sold 30,000 copies in its first five years, but those 30,000 people went on to start bands. It's yeah. easy to understand <laughs> and hear the influence of bands like the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, but Lou Reed was just as important to the fabric of music. The content of songs like Heroin or Walk on the Wild Side, you know, we're talking late 60s, very early 70s, 
show an artist who he is not afraid to write about controversial topics. The Velvet Underground was a huge influence on punk music too. Yeah. To this day, Lou Reed cannot be put in a box. He's his own genre. While his music is hard to grasp at times, that's part of the beauty of it. He's going to challenge the listener's expectations of what music is and what it can be. And one of my favorite quotes from him is one chord is fine. Two chords are pushing it three chords and you're into jazz. (laughs) A great reminder. Just keep it simple. He always said that anybody can learn his songs in like five minutes, sit down with a guitar, have your three chords and you're on your way. He died from liver disease at the age of 71. So let's pull out of the Reaper tailspin here. Yeah, let's do that. Let's get into the music. Well, I'll start it off for us then. And I'll start here in 2013 in a place most people probably wouldn't expect from me. I'm surprising myself a little bit. I connected to the 2013 self-titled Paramore album this week. I guess the album was big at the time. It won a Grammy. I never paid attention to it. It was the song Into You, not like Into You by Ariana Grande. It's In To you that caught my attention it it definitely aimed at younger women but i thought it captured the spirit of cindy lopper a little bit and and i say spirit not by similarity in style but just kind of attitude i think in my mind i had this notion that paramore would sound closer to new metal or new punk if we (laughs) want to call it that that i was never really drawn to we've talked about our issues with it But this was different enough to change my thinking. Those sounds that I'm normally not drawn to, they're they're almost still there. They're on that edge. But I can be a little more forgiving on this album. I think it's really a a good album. And I discovered this week that Haley Williams can really sing. Oh, yes, she can. We had a good conversation about Paramore the other day. I was closed off to them, having the memory that they were an emo pop punk band Mm -hmm. and listening to the 2013 album had me wondering if I didn't have them mixed up with somebody else, but then I put on the first one. Yeah. I lasted about 45 seconds and decided I did (laughs) not have them confused with something else. We've had this narrative that uh, mostly bands will put out their best material early on right here. This is I'm sure we've had other examples, but this is definitely an an exception to the rule. I like how it got chilled out as it went along. Uh, While it's not something I would regularly seek out, I found it to be refreshing. I really liked the live show you sent me. Haley was in command of that stage in a happy way. Not what I was envisioning at all. Seeing the live show was a good setup to hear the album. Yeah. Yeah. She's a hell of a performer. I recommend anybody checking that out on YouTube. Okay. So I'm going to get this out, out of the way early in this show. 2013 was the year of that dickwad, Robin <laughs> Thick and Blurred Lines. That's an underused uh, scent, uh, word yeah. right there. Do you want to know something? When I typed that word out, it doesn't even ask for a correction. That is a word. <laughs> it doesn't. Finally, it says, you know? I think he means to write that. Yeah, I'll leave no, it alone. Dick, dickwad was correct. <laughs> I don't really want to take too much time to talk about this piece of shit song. And God, I hope it doesn't wind up on the playlist. I'm not going to put it in the vote this week. No apologies for saying what I'm saying if it does. From losing a copyright infringement for stealing from Marvin Gaye, which makes you get wad. Shame, shame, shame. To providing a controversial rapey anthem to dance floors everywhere. Come on, man. I know you want it. I know you want it. That is something really creepy dudes say who don't want to take no for an answer. 
I have a lot of respect for Pharrell and his talents, but even he looked back retrospectively and he issued an apology for this song. <laughs> there, that's all I'm going to say about that. I'll be the bad guy if needed. This song's outlawed. We've shied away from other musicians because of issues. Not that we're 100% consistent with how we try to not talk about people involved in some pretty suspicious behavior, but really, that song is a piece of shit. Yeah, it is. And I think the people that performed it, or at least one dude, and you know, definitely <laughs> fits right in. Oh, but, but, like but I then said, this is this song also helped Miley kind of explode out of her Disney mode too. This song didn't wouldn't isn't this the whole twerking thing? Wasn't she on? Oh, it is. You're right. This you know I'm I was over here, so I didn't see that. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah I remember everybody whole thing. Yeah, whole thing. I remember everybody kicking off in the in the states over that on Facebook because they came out on stage and she did a little twerking thing in front of him. And he was dressed like Beetlejuice. <laughs> on stage. You know, but yeah, you're right. That, that did that. But, uh, you know, I, I think I'm not going to discount Miley for what she was doing during that time. Yeah. What this song implied, it was way worse than that. But like I said, I'll give Pharrell a little forgiveness because he was attached to one of the best tracks of the year. That was Get Lucky by Daft Punk. I don't think people realized at the time this album was going to be their final album. Maybe it won't be, but they announced they retired from music a few years back. Get Lucky was a perfect blend of pop, disco, and electronica. Niles Rogers' signature rhythm guitar, it just shines on it. And I just realized this week with all of the electronic sounds taking place, you can hear hand claps in the mix, a cool human element to add to the song. The entire album's pretty good. I, I prefer earlier Daft Punk than this one, but I still think that this was a great way to finish a career if they knew that that was the road they were going down. Yeah, I did not get the appeal of this at the time. I was very anti-mass consumed music. I was in that state of mind that we've come to rail against, you know, oh, they don't make music like they used to. I've come around on them a little bit. And, and part of that was because of uh, their little Grammy joke that they pulled on everybody <laughs> <laughs> by having imposters go up and collect the award while they sat in the audience. They just sat there and clapped while two yeah. other guys in helmets went <laughs> yeah. up and took because nobody knew who they were. Exactly. And That's great. It's an amazing anonymity to be able to have through their career. Yeah. And, and maybe you can hear a few comments about what people really think of you. Yeah. It, it's, <laughs> you know, this past week I read an article about why they quit and they had this concept that was supposed to be about robots making music in a human world. They realized with the rise of AI that they'd actually be responsible for generating that fabricated sound. I don't remember his name. I don't know either of their names, but one of the guys from Daft Punk being interviewed, he actually went on to write a ballet as his first project after taking the helmet off. It's hard to argue against that point. They're not the only ones though. We just have to keep Skynet away from pop and everything. Should be okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's a cool concept for DJs for, for years, you know, people didn't know their identities. That's why they could send those guys up at the Grammys and the helmets yeah. because <laughs> nobody knew who those two dudes, they thought they were seat fillers probably yeah, probably during the show. And who would want to wear one of those helmets too? Those things yeah. are cool. Especially through a whole Grammy show. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, the, the internet fixed that though. People did figure out who they were. Early pictures of them showed up, 
But instead of standing behind the decks and looking for self-glorification, you think about DJs like David Gaeta, Fat Boy Slim. They stand their arms in the air. It's all about them when they're on stage. Oh, yeah. And at the beginning of the song, it's like DJ yeah. Khaled. They got to get yeah, their name exactly. in there. Yeah. D- Daft Punk did not do that. Daft Punk treated it like they were part of the visual narrative of the show. They were not self-glorifying. And I can respect that. I can too. And Gorillaz had that air of mystery at the beginning too. Um, very similar where they tried to create it as a whole art project. Oh no. Yeah. You're right. We've talked about that before. That's cool. Yeah. It's all, it's all performance art and it uh, is. Yeah, and, and there's a, and there's a place for that in, you know, at least in my life, except <laughs> for musicals. I, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So I have to admit, I did hear get lucky a lot so I can understand why you have a bit of a trivial, mindset remembering that in 2013 but at the time i was adjusting to living in a new country i was working in pubs so i was still getting exposed to quite a bit of new music at the time stuff that was on the radio and trust me this was still better than a couple years later i was hearing piped music into retail stores on repeat all day long if you think classic rock is is predictable try working in retail Oh, yeah, you've brought that up a few times. That does have to be hell. I don't know how you were ever able to tune it out. Did it ever like come around to become enjoyable? The only time that was ever enjoyable was when an, either a new playlist came out or when Christmas finished and you weren't going to hear the same 20 songs loop over and over all day long. I do think I could tune it out. That was a possibility, but there was still a way. You know those earworms, Matt. Oh, yeah. They found their way in to piss you yeah. off, piss me yeah. off just a little bit. You know you want it. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, Get Lucky. It was just too syrupy for me at the time. But I've been able to rediscover a lot of older music doing the show. I hear the influences, and I've come around to opening up about happier sounds, especially going through a lot of the R&B that we have been recently. All right, so back to some music from 2013 that I was enjoying. I was a fan of Haim in 2013. Days Are Gone, it's a good blend of Indian pop. The Wire ended up getting some airplay in our house. Haim's a good story. They had a good old Partridge Family family band as kids <laughs> with their mom and dad when they were growing up. And they actually got signed. But as they reached their teen years, they wanted to do different things and go in different directions. So they decided to take some time away from pursuing uh, the, the band, and they did their own thing for a while. The sister Danielle played guitar and percussion for Julian Casablanca's solo tour, along with a few other big artists. She learned the ropes, and then they came back together as sisters, and they conquered the indie world. It's a pretty good story of success. The Wire is such a real, it's, it's such a really good pop song. I remember the first time it played, I thought it was Heartache Tonight by the Eagles. That drum beat and sound is spot on. Yeah, it's got that muffled sound to it. it yeah. It was like, wait a second. Why, why is this indie uh, podcast playing the Eagles? I never even thought about that, but you know, I'll, I'll hear that every single time now. Yeah, yeah I can't get it out of my head. <laughs> and, and here's where I'm going to dial back a little of the hate that was spread on 2006 and seven. I found this week that it might have been a little bit of wrong place, wrong time. As I was saying at the start of the show, being close to 1982, we were kind of parallel prepping for 1990 and the April mm-hmm. Fool's covers show. So I, I won't go into details, but there were a few bands I was reminded of this week. And I kind of regret not uh, at least 
giving them a spotlight on the show a little bit. But this version, 2013, the timing being so close, I was able to flip that mindset a little. I hadn't mm-hmm. listened to some of the indie bands in a while. I moved away from the quieter sounds of bands like The National and Iron and Wine. When I'm listening to music, I'm going to immerse myself. If I find a band, I'm just going to mm-hmm. go all in, try to listen to as much of the discography I can and, and read a little bit about the history, who was in the band, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's whatever caught my attention. I'm, I'm not complaining at all. I, that kind of immersion, it's just set up uh, blinders for myself going forward that, you know, every few years I had to tear down until I found something else that I wanted to immerse myself in. <laughs> and plus the hits of the day by the Katy Perry's and Justin Timberlake's of the world. Big surprise. They're not pleasing to my ears. We need to start an indie band called the Katy Perry's. <laughs> I oh, just like that. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> So I was able to make a little bit of a readjustment this week. I I do have a bit of regret, like I said, not embracing some of those bands. That may have been best for the listeners. I don't know if I lose people when I go on and on about bands they may not know. I guess I'm still looking for that balance of hitting the high notes and hopefully turning people on to something they may not have heard before. Yeah, to be honest, this week, Matt, I could tell in our conversation that you're starting to try to pick out what you might like in music that might not be your norm. You directed me to the band The Colorist. It kind of surprised me. I'd never heard of them before, but they're definitely cool. The music reminded me of some of the jumpy up and down British festival pop rock yeah, stuff bit, I yeah. see going on over here. But then you pointed out the dual vocals specifically. And I know this is something that you've mentioned before, liking when it's done right. And they did it right. I went back and listened to Lido through headphones, the album by The Colorist, and had a new perspective on it. It was more enjoyable to focus on those vocals and how they blended together and then took different parts of the song. The separate male and female tone made it better than similar stuff that's come out in the past 10 years. You're right. The colorist and Haim, they helped me make that readjustment. And you're right. It will always be first and foremost, come down to the voices for me. I wouldn't put Johnny Cash or Lou Reed in the same uh, category as like Beyonce, as far as, you know, being great singers, But there's something, there's character, and there's a writing that is interesting. Um, You explained the color is spot on. It's two voices, not just singing together, but each other at times. Yeah. I'll throw Churches in there, too. Gun is a great pop song. Same with Haim. They have a, a modern 80s sound. Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. Do you know that in 2013, when Stone Temple Pilots finally fired Scott Whalen for being unmanageable with his drug issues. <laughs> Good way to put they, it. Yeah. Yeah. They, they hired Chester Bennington from Lincoln park to be their front man. Both of us just reading that sentence and speaking about it, you know, without any knowledge of the music probably thought, Oh, this is a disaster. Mm. <laughs> yeah. There's an EP that came from 2013 and their time together is not too far off from that classic 90s STP sound. Apparently, Bennington grew up as a huge fan of Stone Temple Pilots, and he talked in interviews about how he'd, as a teen, sing along to their albums in his bedroom and dream about being their lead singer. And there's some concert footage on YouTube as well. He actually did a pretty good job, in my opinion, picking up that mic for Scott Whalen. It's just strange to think that in less than 10 years, both he and Whalen would be gone. It was weird how well his voice fit in. Yeah, wasn't it? It, it, it? It's not Waylon, but at the same time, I could hear some of the similarities. I actually felt like we were getting less of a put on voice from him. 
Well, that's what I liked about it. Yeah. When somebody does take over that lead of a band, you know, and especially if you've had your own band already, someone like Scott Whalen, Chester Bennington, you know, with Linkin Park. The other thing that was significant to me was I felt like I was hearing Chester Bennington's real voice yeah. more so than I heard in Linkin Park. Yeah. And that let you hear the similarities and the influences of Stone Temple Pilots. Well, you could tell that, I mean, Matt, we grew up singing in our bedrooms along to yeah. our favorite artists. And, and you mimic the voices. He made certain that there was a separation between trying to sound like Scott Wayland and still fitting in with Stone Temple Pilots the right way because he yeah. knew that band so well. Yeah, being himself. I mean, you, you look at how Gary Sharon tried to fit in with Van Halen. Did not yeah. work. It didn't work. No, no. Yeah, but I, but I could, I, but I think that Chester Bennington had the type of voice that probably could have fit in in a few different eras. He yeah. could have been a good hair metal singer. Yep. There's something in there that I hear that maybe like great white or something that there's a tone oh, in his yeah. voice that I hear. Yep. And his voice touches some of the familiar sounds, especially on that song, Same on the Inside. Mm -hmm. It's my honorable mention this week. So there, I've got one from 2013. <laughs> Who would have thought? But but people should go check that EP out because even if you're slightly interested, it's worth giving it a listen. Yeah, it's a curiosity. I mean, there's plenty of people who love Linkin Park and Stone Temple Pilots. Yeah, right. yeah. And 2013 was a little bit before rap took over my kids listening, but there were some <laughs> familiar names we've talked about before that they've gone back to catch up on. During the pandemic, Owen had just gotten his permit. So we put a lot of miles on the truck. You know, you got, you just got to drive, especially on the back roads. Mm -hmm. There's nothing more cliche than driving the back roads in a pickup truck. Right. <laughs> uh, uh, so sweatpants, the crawl and 3005 from the childish Gambino album, because the internet, they were in heavy rotation. It was okay, a lot like yeah. you and Mark listening and singing in his truck, except we didn't have to reach behind the seat to switch the cassette. over. <laughs> It's funny that you say that about rap music, though, because we talked a lot of music this week and I was the one to message you about Kid Cootie. Yeah, that's that's the effect this show's had on me, though. You've got me paying attention to places I never would have been looking a year ago. I just assumed probably that I was going to leave it to you when I was flipping through music from the year, you know, a, a week ago. And then last night I realized, wait a minute, we haven't talked about this. <laughs> and I was not going to walk away from the show without bringing it up. I, I think it's actually really good. And I couldn't let it slide before we get to our five here. There's a great collaboration with Haim on the album and father, John Misty, that's like the best of your worlds in the past 10 to 15 years <laughs> yeah. colliding. Yeah. But the biggest surprise, Michael fucking Bolton is on the <laughs> album. <laughs> and Kid Cudi makes it work. You helped me appreciate Kid Cudi so much. So thank you. I want to hear him do something with Tom Jones. Oh, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> I like Cudi because I don't feel like I'm hearing something about how cool or badass he is or how much money and cars and jewelry. A lot of his music is introspective. Um, there's a lot of questioning about mental health and stability, mm -hmm. and it's interesting as hell. Um, it could be because I'm still new to it all, but after decades of listening to music, you start to think you've heard it all. I, I don't have an encyclopedic knowledge of rap by far. So my view of any of it is it's a novice's point of view. Kid Cudi 
it's not like anything I've listened to before. Indica, the album, it comes off to me as experimental, maybe a bit of uh, psychedelic. Um, I like that we're able to have that conversation about new music. It makes me feel like we're less Statler and Waldorf than most 50 year olds, even though it does <laughs> get off the stage. <laughs> it does feel weird, you know, talking about new rap after all these years, because it's a newer thing for me. I look forward to both of us sharing new discoveries in that genre that aren't based on what my kids tell me to listen to. <laughs> Could you imagine you and I, a couple of 50 year olds riding around in the truck on the back roads, listening to some rap? Oh music my God. Together? Or sitting at a bar. Yeah. This could happen <laughs> and, though. And, now. Yeah. <laughs> and, we're, and we're just going on and on about Kendrick Lamar or something. Oh, that's great though. <laughs> All right. Let's get on to our five. It's time to do that. Isn't it? Five. It is. I hopefully we can count to five this week. Yes, I think we can. <laughs> so 2013 was your choice. It is. So that yeah. means you get to kick it off. Okay, so I'm going to start my five this week in a great place. Someone we've not brought to the show before. I think we've got a few of these bands this week, which is cool. This is the Tedeschi Trucks Band, and the song is Part of Me. This band gets lumped in with the jam band scene. Maybe they are, kind of, but I think they're more blues and soul than anything else. It's Americana at its best. Susan Tedeschi has such a clean and pure vocal, a pretty voice, and Derek Trucks is considered one of the great guitar players of his time. And I don't know if you know this, but he just plays straight through the amp. He oh, doesn't really? use any, yeah, he doesn't use any pedals on stage. He just actually, he's one of those guys, he plugs in, gets his sound, and that's what you get oh, from him. I tell you, sometimes it's all in how you play. That takes more work sometimes, yeah. Yeah, it's a natural talent. Yeah, but together they form something really special. I've added this song because I think they deserve to be part of the history of the music we've built in this playlist. And I've got one more song from another year that still might come. Oh, good. I was close to adding this. This is a really underrated band. Susan Tedeschi, she is no slouch on the guitar either. She no, has some great yeah. blues chops. Um, and some new blues, it can come off a little sterile. You know, a little, hey, I'm going to sing a line. I'm going to do a lick. I'm going to do a line. I'm going to mm -hmm. do a lick. And the guitar tones can be kind of uh just cliched and almost and almost yeah sterile sounding i think is the best way yeah. i want to say it but you can hear the passion in her playing and the singing this will fit right in with some of the r&b we've yet we've added um and along with like nathaniel ratliff and the night sweats and the black pumas it's going to sit nicely right in there hopefully yeah. it comes off as a nice block no nice comparisons i like that it would fit right with those all right that's my number one what are you bringing first matt my first song is going to be Winery Dogs with Elevate. You noticed I was looking for some old reliable sounds to fall back on. And yep. this was one of them. Super groups are fun. And when I find something Billy Sheehan is attached to, it's a no-brainer. I'm going to check it out. The guitarist, Richie Kotzen, has he's steadily released albums since 1989. He spent some time in Poison and Mr. Big when they were going through some fluctuations in their lineups. Yeah, If you're familiar with Mr. Big, his playing suits Billy Sheehan's just like Paul Gilbert's did. There, mm -hmm. there are times it slips into sounding something like Addicted to That Rush, this song in particular with all the, the tapping that goes on. This is some tight musicianship here with flashes of Prague. And if you aren't a Mr. Big fan, don't worry. They added Mike Portnoy to kick even more ass. <laughs> this is some tight musicianship here with flashes of Prague. You're not going to have musicians of this caliber and not have everyone getting their chance to sign very accessible what's old is new kind of music 
Matt, when I put this on, my first thought in the first 30 to 60 seconds of the song was, who are these guys? It was too good to not be performed by some really great musicians with, you know, a high caliber experience. Yeah. What they did. (laughs) So as much as I wanted to find new musicians playing with this much discipline, it's rare. And then boom, I looked it up. I was like, I got to go find out who this is. (laughs) And it's a super group of your heroes. And I shouldn't have been surprised. It's a great rock song. It's cool to have on the playlist. Great choice. Thank you. All right. So what is your second song? My second song is going to be Jake Bug. And the song is Storm Passes Away. Jake Bug is one of those once in a lifetime kind of artists. There's nobody that sounds like him. And, you know, it goes without saying that uniqueness has really elevated his music to another level. This sounds like something someone would play on an old 78 record with, yeah. the, you know, the yeah, it spinning does. it out of an old horn. And while his music's welcome today and, and it, I'm happy to have it, I think he would have fit right in in the 1930s and 40s with those recording artists. Almost a Hank Williams sound coming out of him. Nobody sounds as unique as Jake Bug in music today. Yeah, this is this song is a totally old school sound. I got heavy Donovan vibes vocally right, from it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and musically as well, but also there's like some Dylan and some Cash and mm-hmm. some old blues thrown in there. It got some heavy side eye from me when I saw the album cover. Cause I'm like, <laughs> oh, this this looks like it's gonna be some uh oh, cheesy uh love song kind of performer, but no. <laughs> no, these were some great songs. I was so yeah. happy to be wrong. The rest of the album is really not like this song. Mm-hmm. I almost hesitate to make too many comparisons because it might sound like the album's all over the place. It's not. It just sounds like Jake Bug has some well-informed musical influences. Yeah. No, and I kind of put him there with Paolo Nutini a little bit and being yep. his own thing. Yep. And I, some throwback sounds. I think with this generation, a lot of people want to look at someone like George Ezra, who's great in his own right, Mm -hmm. and say that he's like the Johnny Cash of this era with his unique sound. But there's something about Jake Bug that I'm going to say sticks out just a little bit more. And I think that sounds really authentic. Yeah, that's that's exactly what it is. What Jake Bug sounds like, his nasal quality, his tone. And you're right, that Dylan-esque quality that sound is right there in his music and it just sounds like when he goes to sing he just goes for it yeah it's just right it's not it's not planned out yep it's not safe yeah you just grip it and rip it just go and i and i think one of those differences is and the same as dylan does is he sings on top of the beat so as the as the beat starts on the song he's right there at the start of the song and it goes instead of the music and then singing behind it and flowing with it yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it, it's a sign of a really true singer-songwriter. Yeah, it's. I actually, I think it, it speaks to his confidence level and his ability. Yeah, yeah. And that he's just going to go for it. He can hit the note right off. He doesn't need the intro nope. to help him find the note. <laughs> just go, go. Really he, he good. Just go. All right. That's my number two. So what is your second song? I'm going to slow it down. Well, yours was pretty slow. Was it? Was it? What I'm trying to think. No, that wasn't, that wasn't slow. Not, not like this. Not like this. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm going to slow it down with uh, Jason Isbell, Cover Me Up. This song almost got the hook. I didn't know if it would be self-indulgent of me or maybe a speed bump in the playlist for people because it is slow and it's a little heavy. 
but the more I listened to it this week, I just couldn't stay away from it. And actually, I kind of hope it is a speed bump. A change in direction can make you pay attention. And I think the song deserves undivided attention similar mm-hmm. to how i kept hearing bony bear over and over in 2008 you know people were like oh you got to listen to this you got to listen to this uh, everything i read was saying to check out his southeastern album the whole album's incredible elephant i'll give an honorable mention to that hits pretty hard it almost made my five but there's a line in there that i'm like oh you can swear but it's kind of the context and how you swear <laughs> that, <laughs> that 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 might be acceptable. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's 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 a great choice, and I'll also say that Stockholm off that album was an oh, incredible yeah. song. I got the message from you that you were thinking about removing this song because we send each other the five songs each week, mm-hmm. so we can talk about it on the show. And I kind of messaged back like. Dude, then talk about the album on the show <laughs> because it's a good album. And I went through and listened to this whole thing after you introduced me to this song. It's such a pretty song. It sounds like a ballad at the end of an art house film. Yeah, the, I can hear that. It, the acoustic guitar songs, they sound so crisp and clean on it. I kept listening to him and he leans into country, but not an entirely old fashioned way nor the modern annoying catch phrasing nearly hip hop bullshit that we hear today in country <laughs> yeah. music. Yeah. If this was the direction of modern country, if this is where it went, I'd like it a whole lot more. My immediate thoughts in digesting it were kind of like when the band or Jackson Brown lean into country or Americana. Yeah. Yeah. This song, it's such a good starting point for Jason Isbell. So thank you for keeping it on the list because I probably would have made you bring it in anyway. <laughs> Honorable mention, though. No. Uh, it gets the alternative country label, which is weird. You know, most alternative country I've heard, it sounds like actual country, like you were saying, if it had gone down a certain road, that it sh- probably should have gone down. Mm-hmm. And he was in the drive-by truckers for a little while. Okay, yeah. So you can kind of see how he fits in that alternative country mode. Um, and some people may know this song. Uh, Morgan Wallen covered it a couple years back, he, and his version's really good, too. It's just that Jason Isbell's is a more, I'm just going to sit down in front of a microphone and do it. That's a good song. Good stuff. All right. What's your third song? My third song? Well, probably the highest charting song in our five this week. It was a very popular song. Won a Grammy. That song is Royals by Lord. It was probably overplayed at the time that it was released. And rightly so, in my opinion, it's good. It won song of the year, I think, that year from the Grammys. But I bet they regretted that when they gave her the award. Because when 17-year-old Lord stepped up on stage, I'm going to read this. She started her acceptance speech like this. Thank you so much, everyone, for making this song explode. Because this world is mental. Planet Earth is run by psychopaths that hide behind slick marketing, freedom, propaganda, and economic growth rhetoric while they construct a global system of corporatized totalitarianism. Some people, Matt, stood and gave her an ovation for this speech, (laughs) while others kept their asses in their seats and they just half clapped. You're giving the game away. Shut up. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But it's a conversation that keeps going on today. And if you go listen to this, regardless of how famous it was, regardless of how big of a song it was at its time, it says it all. 
and this is a very unexpected hit. Usually pop's the opposite of something so minimalist. Yeah. I, I think that made it more accessible for those of us not into pop. You have to love the message in the song. I, I do wonder uh, if it made people who are part of the problem sweat a little bit. But unfortunately, I don't think enough of the heat was kept on for it mm. to really, uh, you know, snowball into yeah. the size of awareness that needs to be made. Um, but you can definitely take the lyrics in a very pump up the volume rebellious sort of way. Yeah, well, she didn't get the airplay as she did on Royals on future songs. I'm sure they weren't looking to bring her back up on stage anytime soon. Yeah, and I loved how all the celebrities would like glad hand with her about making such an important song when all these fuckers are part of the goddamn problem. (laughs) They are, they are. (laughs) All right, what is your third song? I'm going to bring some familiar sounds back with white denim and pretty green. More white denim for the playlist. Pretty green sits in a nice pocket. It's got a funky groove. It's in a nice space between being laid back and a rocker. I've said it before. White denim is what happens when a jam band just keeps it tight and keeps their songs in you know that four minute range. They pack a lot into their songs. They're really cool. Yeah, another white denim song is definitely welcome to the playlist. I think they are to you what Three Eleven have been to me. Yeah, probably a well you can keep returning to because it just doesn't run dry. This song has a 70s classic rock feel to it for me just a bit. Mm-hmm. I like the dynamics, but how it always returns to one central pedaling note. Yep. It, it kind of moves away and, and plays around, but then it comes back to a main theme in the song. This is another band that I picked up from you from the show. So good stuff. Cool. Thanks. All righty. You're up with your fourth song now. I'm hey, already I've, I've counted four. correctly so far. Well done. <laughs> My number four song is going to be Heartbreaker by Samantha Fish. This is a new discovery for me in prepping for 2013. I'd not really heard of Samantha Fish before. And what's kind of cool is after choosing this song and making sure I held it to the side to bring to the show, I had more of her music thrown into my recommendations (laughs) and the algorithms on Spotify. That didn't take long. No, it didn't. Well, (laughs) she had a a new song that came out last week and it got thrown into my new release radar. All right. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. I'm happy I discovered her. She's cool. And this is just a cool song that I wanted to share with everybody. She has a great rock vocal, very bluesy. And I, I wish we heard more from her. This song will fit right in on the playlist And I kind of want to see it get back-to-back play with Pat Benatar's Heartbreaker, because I think that's on there too. So you can have Heartbreaker by Samantha Fish and then Heartbreaker by Pat Benatar. That would be very cool. Yeah, this was a great bluesy rock vibe. It's more of a blues sound with a sneer to it than Susan Tedeschi is. That's, I think we in. You know what? If we threw Led Zeppelin in there, we could have a triple threat. Oh, Heartbreaker by Led Zeppelin. (laughs) Let's do it. Well, Matt, you know, uh, Led Zeppelin 2 came out in 1969, <laughs> yeah. so unfortunately it wouldn't possibly make this show unless we come up with a reason to Uh-oh. include songs that have names of other songs. <laughs> we can do a show, you know, name a song that has yeah. a name of well, another Heartbreaker's got to be a pretty common title for a song. Yeah, I'm sure Will I Am has a song called that since he decides to name half his songs after other songs. Go check that out. Uh, yeah, he's pretty annoying that way. Yeah, go go check that out. That's I've been waiting to fit that into the show somewhere. <laughs> a lot of words. literally, if if will if will I am could name a song Hotel California just so he you would. would find it on Spotify. He would. Yeah, he would. exactly. But Heartbreaker, Samantha Fish. Yeah, good song. Good song. Thank All you. Right. What is your fourth? I'm gonna go with Bronze Radio Return. The song is further on. 
I don't talk about having songs that lift me up. I probably even said I don't have those kind of songs, but I'm wrong because this is a song that definitely turns my mood around when I need it. It's that constant stomp from the drum and the claps and all the happy sounds. They're just telling you, hey, keep moving on. Matt, you had me at the hand claps. You son of a bitch. (laughs) Right from the start of the song. I, I think there might even be knee slaps during the verse. Yeah, there could be. <laughs> yeah. But going back to Daft Punk earlier and talking about the electronica music, and I talked about how you could hear hand claps and get lucky. So mm-hmm. it's time for a gym music philosophy moment. And I'm going to go back to the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, the start of time. I'm going to go back to how this is built into what makes us up as human beings. And that mm-hmm. is when it comes to music, not everybody's going to pick up a guitar, learn how to play it. Not everybody's going to pick up a saxophone. Not everybody's going to no. learn how to play the drums. No, but Bobby McFerrin made his whole body an instrument. <laughs> well, well, but people are able to clap their hands. Yes. And I have this belief. Mother, that, this music that, speaks to me. <laughs> yes. Hand claps make everything better. They do. Hand claps. If you go back and listen to number one songs in the 60s, you're oh, going to geez. hear hand claps on at least 90% of oh, them. Yeah. Snaps. But, I mean, and also, I mean, think about the theme from Friends. How many people yeah. sit to this day and wait to just clap their hands during yeah. that one part? As yeah. much as I hate saying that, bringing yeah. that song to the show. <laughs> hand claps are part of our musical participation in a song. Anybody can do it. People that can't whistle can clap their hands. People that can't snap their fingers can clap their hands. Hand clapping is at the heart of all pop music and, and great music. And I'll stand by that until the end of time. That hand clapping is one of those things that you can bring into a song at any point. If, you, if you're in a studio and you're thinking, okay, this song is almost perfect. What is it missing? It's almost always hand claps. It, it just needs that. It, it, it's a participation thing, uh-huh. right? It's like having that chant at a concert where people can just have that shared experience. And not those bad electronic hand claps we've talked about in earlier shows. Yes, yes. Yeah. It no, like, stay away. Yeah, like the real hand claps where you yeah. can tell. All right, jumping up nonsense. Let's move on to your fifth song. All right, enough nonsense from Jim. My fifth (laughs) song this week is going to come from, well, we're recording this on Easter weekend. It'll come out, you know, a little bit later, but this is when we're sitting here. So why not bring a song about chocolate by the band, the 1975? I owe this song. No, not that one. (laughs) (laughs) Wrong year. Yes, wrong year. I owe this song here though. Straight up, I'm going to say that I'm not, a big 1975 fan. I've tried. They headline major festivals over here, including Glossenberry, but I've never been able to get into them. This song though, is the first time they caught my attention and I really liked it. I kept going back to find something else over the years. You know, when you hear a song, Oh, I like that song. The band's going to have to put something else out that I like. And, and it's not that their music's terrible and I'm not saying that. So before anybody kicks off who likes the 1975, it just doesn't appeal to me. I can kind of get why you like them and that's your thing. But for me, chocolate's the song and it stops here. That's okay though. It, It is a good song. I think it's a great song and I'm glad to have it on the playlist representing 2013 for me. 
you're not alone. They've been tough for me to get into as well. But Chocolate reminded me of the band Phoenix, who I I like a few albums from them. Um, but again, I don't like all their music. Uh, but they hit the right pop strings for me with this one. They're just some bands that would benefit so much from removing the extra polish. And that polish is probably probably more appealing to newer generations. But for us growing up in this, you know, seven, hearing the 60s and the 70s and in some of the 80s music, we just don't need all of that extra polish. Um, it, it, but there's a nice vibe going through the song. I started to make a connection with the 1975 to John Mayer. I can hear my that. Head. <laughs> and, and now I don't think I can listen to Phoenix ever again either. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> no, but this is this is a good song. Yeah, cool. It's a good ad. All right, what's your last song for 2013? All right, I am going to finish up with a little bit of indie gold with Man, Man, Head On, Hold On to Your Heart. Another song that sits in a happy place with a really catchy melody. When it comes on, boom, I know I'm singing. The song doesn't <laughs> convey how weird and experimental Man, Man can get, especially with their earlier stuff. Watch some live clips, especially from the mid-2000s, really fun stuff. Pots yeah. and pans kazoos blowhorns whatever they're they're really weird <laughs> that's good I this like song that. isn't weird but they have some really good you know just plain songs but they can just be uh fun and experimental yeah no i didn't think it was weird i'd never heard of this band before this week and it's a really good find on your part I also wrote a song called Head On, and it used to be on my MySpace page. <laughs> you it, and it Queen, was, triple threat. Yes, there we go. It's like Heartbreaker <laughs> all over again. It wasn't as good as this, but it was better than crying. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this this was a good song. I think we're closing out the final years of your indie music. And to me, this is you putting the icing on your cake. When I shuffle this playlist someday, this is one that I'll be happy to come across. Awesome. So that brings a close to 2013. Yeah, it this does. Version wasn't as maligned as 2006, 2007. I don't think we talked a whole, we didn't really go into too much depth in the general conversation, but I think what we did bring to our five, yeah, we found some songs that we did really like. Well, what we didn't do was get negative about Justin Timberlake's suit and tie. So there right. we go, people. We exactly. just decided to talk about what we liked and what we found that was good. Yeah. And yeah. So, yeah. and and the funny thing is in these older years in our lives, we tend to argue less about what we liked and didn't like because we didn't give a shit about <laughs> most of the same music, you know, but, but it's cool that we were listening to different stuff and that we can still share that with each other. So, Matt, it is time for you to choose the year we're going to go to next. I chose 2013. Where are you taking us? You've left this a mystery to me. I have no clue. So I know. Ladies so, and gentlemen. So let, 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 let's have a conversation. All right. So this next version is going to be a surprise because uh, in the, you know, the past month or two, we've been pretty good at mapping out where we're going to go. So we can kind of uh, plan, prepare and chat back and forth. Uh, but now we're, we're going to have a big cram session because there's been no prior prepping for it. <laughs> uh, so we're going to go next time into version 1996. Oh, oh, did I, oh. Did, I hit, did I strike a chord with you, Jim? No, 1996. I think it's going to be one of those years where we enjoy the 90s as they finish off how we remember them. Because when we got to 1997, mm -hmm. 1998, we kind of lost ourselves a little bit. 
but I think yeah. 1996 is still going to be holding closer to those earlier years in the 90s where they were kind of formulative for us. Yep, I'm kind of suspecting that it's going to be a lot of music in the moment. I think so. I'm going to be I'm, I'm going to be very curious to see how much of it has carried on with me throughout my life. Yeah. And this was a big year for me, just so people know. Okay, so I got the show off again. I love it. Yeah. These 90s years are perfect for me. <laughs> uh, it'll be fun. It'll be fun. All right, so it is time to wrap it up. And it's my turn to do so because I chose 2013. Yes. So we want to thank everybody once again for listening to the Jam Yearbook version 2013. It's been a lot of fun to go into the year and come out kind of in a positive way, not negative about everything else that was going on. I'm sure we could go on about Max Martin or something annoying <laughs> during that year if we wanted to. And, and we avoided that because we don't want to just keep repeating ourselves over and over again. You know, the, the two old guys from the Muppets, the, the Stabber and Waldorf. Yeah, as you said earlier, <laughs> get off the stage. Yeah, yeah so yeah. it's our time to get off the stage. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you everybody for listening. It's been great to have you here. Matt, once again, as always, it's a joy to talk to you. Say goodbye to everybody. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next time for version 1996. Peace, love, and podcast.